right, we're in the final stages, the final day, the finale of this series we've been in for the last four weeks now, entitled The Vault. And if you missed the first three weeks of this, go to our website, weareimpact.com, and you can either watch or listen to the messages right there on our website to get caught up on the first three. But one of the things that we talked about in this series is a couple of different guys. One, we call him the rich young ruler because we don't really know his actual name. And the other one is, is, is a man who is a rich guy. Zacchaeus, a rich man, and he worshiped God with his wealth, but the rich young ruler was worshiping his wealth. And he showed up to Jesus with his mindset. He said, what must I do to be saved, Lord? And Jesus said to him, you know the commandments, don't steal, don't kill, honor your father and mother, don't, don't commit murder. He said, I've been obeying all those commandments, Lord, since I was a little boy. And Jesus said, there's one commandment you've still been violating. And the one he had been violating is the very first one that says, you shall have no other God in front of me. And so Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. In fact, the Bible says he looked at him and he loved him. So what he said to him after that was from a heart of love. He said, I want you to go and sell everything you have, take the money that you get from selling everything you have, give it away to the poor. He says, by doing so, you'll end up having treasure in heaven. He said, then take up your cross, come and follow me. The Bible says that he looked at him yeah, Jesus, and this is my paraphrase, he's like, you must be out your mind. <laughs> but what he literally did, the Bible says he went away sad at what Jesus said because he had a lot of possessions. Well, Jesus looked around and he said, it's going to be hard for people that have riches to enter into the kingdom of heaven. His disciples were stunned. And the reason why they were stunned is because they were blessed themselves. And they're like, what do you mean it's going to be hard for those that have riches to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And so he clarified in Mark chapter 10, verse 24, he says, children, calm down. He says, how hard is it for those who trust in their wealth to get into the kingdom of God? In other words, he was saying, it's no problem having wealth. You just can't trust your wealth. It's no problem having possessions. You just can't get caught up to where you believe that's where your security lies. And so all month long, my assignment has been working with all of us here at Impact Church in the same way that God was working with the children of Israel to get this point across right here. God has no problem with us having and enjoying the wealth of this world as long as we don't put our trust in the wealth of this world. Give me a good amen, somebody. Give me a better amen, somebody. Now, as a result of that, God is constantly taking us through something that I like to call the money test. And it's a test that we have to take on a regular basis. In fact, a number of years ago, I wrote a book called Passing the Test of Life. And uh, a number of you may have it, but we actually have been out of it for the longest, and we got some more of these in. So if you're one of those people that have been asking us, when are you going to finally get some of those books back in? We have it. It's got some great information on the inside. Got a nice little picture of me on the outside. So even if you don't want to read, you can just put it on your nightstand, just look at it. And, or, put it or put it in the window of your house and keep the burglars away, something, man. <laughs> but it's, it's got a number of different tests. And it's not the kind of book where you've got to read it from beginning to end to get it. It's literally like a manual. So if you find yourself going through the test of being misunderstood, you can go to that test. And God will tell you how to pass that test. But one of the tests that all of us have to pass on a regular basis is a test called the money test. The money test is not a test like the LSAT or the MCAT where you take it and you pass it and now you are a lawyer or now you are a doctor and you're good for, for, for life. The money test is one that we have to take on at regular intervals throughout our life as a Christian. It's kind of like getting recertified to make sure that I, I know you didn't let money become a God when you had a little bit of it. 
But how are you doing now where money is concerned now that you got a little bit in your savings account, now that you got a little bit in your retirement account, now that you got a few homes that you bought, you're doing some real estate. How have you gotten now with passing this thing called the money test? Now, I want to just share something with you. you know, last week, I, I, was, I was sharing with you guys how uh, I, I did an Instagram Live, and I jumped into this Instagram Live with a couple of our middle schoolers. And it was hilarious to watch just how their whole disposition changed when they realized I was in there. Well, I want to tell you about a time when Pastor April was on an Instagram Live. <laughs> Your first lady. In order for this to make some, some, some sense, so you got to understand, she is not a social media kind of person. She is not. She has accounts on Facebook. She has accounts on, on uh, Instagram. People email her all the time on Facebook, and I tell her she will never see that unless, it's, unless they have Facebook in heaven. She ain't going to watch it. Read it down here. She just, she don't get into it like that. Every now and then, she put a post out there for a birthday, anniversary, some special occasion. And so during that, the season of, of, of COVID, when everybody was at home and we were all quarantined and stuff, and, and you had all these pastors and ministers that were doing these Instagram lives. And they would invite their friend to be on Instagram Live. And I don't know if they still have this or not on Instagram, but they had a button back then where you could click it and ask the person who's doing the Instagram Live, can you join their Instagram Live? Well, we had a good friend named Jimmy Rollins. Uh, his wife, Irene, was here for the women's conference. And, you know, he, he was he good? Come on. <laughs> well, Jimmy was doing an Instagram Live. He was sitting there teaching the word and, and sharing some things. And, and April was watching his Instagram Live. But then I guess she saw this little button. You know how you get curious sometimes. She saw, this, she saw this little button that said, ask to join. She's already in the Instagram Live, but she saw the little button that says, join Instagram Live. Now, she's already watching the Instagram Live. <laughs> but this little curious button said, you know, ask to join Instagram Live. So she pushed it. I guess Jimmy on the other end saw the request from April Davis. He said, oh, he, maybe April's got something to share. So he approved it. She didn't know that now she's sitting in his Instagram live, and she, she was there for a minute. She, 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 she said this, can they see me? <laughs> no, no. Then Jimmy answered back, yeah, April, we can see you. <laughs> that wouldn't have even been that big a deal if she was sitting there looking like she does right now in this front row, all dressed up and made up. No, she was sitting in the bed, had her bonnet on. Come on, ladies. You know how y'all look after 10 p.m. Don't act like <laughs> <laughs> you have never seen somebody hit the exit live button so fast. <laughs> All right, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. The Bible says this, command those who are rich in this present world. Everybody say rich, rich. in this present world. Come on, say it again. Everybody say rich, rich. in this present world. Now, before, before you start thinking, because here in America, when we hear the word rich, we think of Warren Buffett. We think of somebody else who's got billions of dollars or, you know, several hundred million dollars in net worth. But can I just tell you that in most countries of the world, most of us sitting in this room right now and those watching online, we would be considered rich. When we first started going into Peru and established the two churches we have in Peru, if, if you made $20,000 back then, you were considered rich in that country. And so many places in the world, most of us in here would be counted as rich people. Rich meaning, not meaning you got yachts and you got a, a 20,000 square foot home. Rich meaning you have your needs met and some excess to be a blessing to somebody else. So the Bible says, charge those that are rich in this, watch this, present world. When I read that part of it, you know what it tells me? It tells me that it's obviously possible to be rich in this present world, but broke when heaven is concerned. Or it's possible to be rich in heaven, rich with treasure in heaven, 
rich with what matters to heaven and maybe not fully have everything just yet that you're believing for down here. That's what was going on with the rich young ruler. He was rich down here but broke in heaven. And Jesus said, you'd be better off. You, you can have both. Don't get me wrong. But he said, if you got to choose one or the other, Jesus said, go and sell what you have down here so you can put some treasure into the vault called heaven. He says, charge those or command those that are rich in this present world. Tell them not to be arrogant. Tell them don't put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain. But tell them to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our what? Come on, I can't hear you. Everything for our what? Come on, I can't hear you. Everything for our what? Our enjoyment. Are you trying to tell me that God is concerned about more than just our basic needs being met? The Bible says, no, God is the one who's willing to supply us with everything we need, not just so we can make sure that the rent is paid, that the mortgage is taken care of, that the car is all set. He says, I want you to be taken care of even where your enjoyment has been fulfilled. Amen? Amen? But now what this verse tells us to do is to move our hope. The word hope literally means our expectation and our trust. Move it away from what my money promises to do for me because the Bible says that's, untr- that's not trustworthy. And exchange that currency into an expectation of what God will do for me, which is to richly provide me with everything I need for my enjoyment. Now, in this country, we, we have a, fr- a phrase that's printed on every coin and every bill as a reminder not to put our hope, our expectation and trust in our money. And that phrase is literally the title of today's finale. And that phrase, as you see printed on the coins and on our, on our dollar bills, is in God we trust. Yeah. Say it out loud. In God, in God we, trust. we trust. Come on, say it like you mean. In God, in God we, trust. we trust. Tell your neighbor, in God. In God. Come on, tell them. Say, in God, in God. we trust. Tell them on the other side. Say, hello, neighbor. neighbor. Say, in God, God. I trust. trust. Now, tell one more person, but tell them with a little attitude this time. (laughs) Say, hello, neighbor. In God, I trust. trust. Come on, if you really mean that, shout like you believe that today. Come on, shout like you believe that today, man. In God, I put my trust. When I listen to this, in 1861, there was a Baptist pastor named Mark Watkinson. And he petitioned the U.S. Treasury to add a statement recognizing the Almighty God onto our coins. Congress listened to him, and they approved the phrase, In God We Trust, to be printed on all U.S. coins in 1864. Then in 1956, Congress adopted the same phrase as the official motto of the United States and is still the United States model all the way up until this day. Now, what we really have when we think about money is that money is really a promissory note. You think about it, I mean, this this $20 bill right here is a promissory note. In the back of it, you got a picture of the White House and you got the phrase, in God we trust on it. But this piece of paper really is just a piece of paper. Really, I mean, it's made from the same paper as this this little white piece of paper here. This, This has promise on it. This also is a promissory note. The difference between this one and this one is that this one is being backed by the Federal Reserve. That's why if I ask you which one of these would you rather have, (laughs) you're going to take that one all day long, right? If you pick this one, we're going to escort you out here. Something wrong with you. But, but, But think about it. They're both pieces of paper. Both came from a tree. Both were processed in some way. This one's 
you know, uh, uh, ink applied to it, but they're both pieces of paper. What makes this one different is that our U.S. money is being backed by the Federal Reserve. And it only has value because we expect and we trust the government to keep the promise. We give this to a store. They say it's worth 20 U.S. dollars. They expect that when they turn that in, they can get the value because it's backed by the Federal Reserve of $20. It's only good, watch this, because the U.S. Treasury backs this promissory note up and says that we will give you value to the extent of a $20 bill or a $100 bill based on the U.S. Federal Reserve. And see, we believe that there's value in this. That's the reason why we walk around with them. That's the reason why when you get your check, you think about it, you exchange one piece of paper your check <laughs> for a wad of other pieces of paper. Somebody say, oh, it ain't no wad. Is this wad enough? <laughs> you exchange that one piece of paper for a wad of other pieces of paper because we actually believe, despite the fact that the government is constantly changing the rules, constantly raising taxes, constantly raising interest rates, and even constantly now we see threatening over and over to, 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 to shut the government down and default on our loans in other places, yet we still walk around watch this with a whole lot of confidence in these pieces of paper. And I'm, I'm trying to get you to understand, these pieces of paper mean nothing if the promise from the promise giver is not valid. Are you still out there? You're going home already. I said, you still out there? You're going home already. I mean, anybody, I mean, I know I'm saying they don't matter, but anybody thank God for these pieces of paper? The back says, in God we trust. You ought to check your, if yours doesn't say that, just give it to me. I'll keep it for you. There's a young lady on the third row right here. One, two, three, right there. The little lady with the hair pulled back. Yeah, come here, sweetheart. Real quick. It's your lunch money today. <laughs> well, no, I said, remember what I said about First Timothy 6, 17 says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, but also tell them don't put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. The scripture is telling us again, don't put your hope, your expectation and your trust in these promissory notes down here. Don't have your hope and your expectation and your trust built on what I have in my bank account. Don't let, don't let yourself say, whew, I finally have enough saved up. I'm good now. He said, don't put your trust in these promissory notes down here. Why, God? Because there's another government called the kingdom of heaven. And that government also has printed some promissory notes in a book called the Bible. And the difference between these promises and these promissory notes that we walk around with is that these promises aren't backed by the Federal Reserve. These promises are guaranteed and backed by the blood of Jesus Christ has been shed on our behalf. Come on, somebody. And God wants us to have, watch this, more confidence in the promise of these notes than the promise that we have of those notes sitting in our bank account. Come on, shout amen like you believe that. Come on, shout amen like you believe that, somebody. Amen. How about this? Second Corinthians one twenty says, for as many as are the promises of God in Christ, they are those promises all answered. Yes. So through him, we say, amen to the glory of God. I want you to listen to this. I mean, this, this will blow your mind right here. Listen, listen. In, in scripture, there are seven thousand four hundred and eighty seven recorded promises 
or promissory notes in this Bible. In, in other words, right here in this, in this word, place like over in Psalm 103 where God promises that he will forgive all of your iniquity, he will heal all of your diseases. That, that's, that's a promissory note, somebody. Come on, man. It, it's, it's a promissory note, and it's backed up by the kingdom of heaven. It's backed up by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There's a promise in here that says a thousand may fall by your side, 10,000 to your right hand. God declares to Israel, and I lay claim to that as well as the seed of Abraham. Come on, that it will not come near you. Come on, that's the reason why I can declare based on the promises of God's word. Come on, no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. Come on, that's why I can declare based on the promises of God's word that my God, come on somebody, shall supply all of my need, not according to my paycheck, not according to CSX, not according to what CVS will do, come on, not according to Bank of America, come on, not according to to any other place. He'll do it based on his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Come on, that means that my life is not based on what some human said down here. I have a book of promissory notes. God is trying to get me to understand no matter what your situation is, he will show up to make good on what he's promised to you and to me. Come on, say amen, somebody. Now listen to this. Remember, he said to those that are rich, he said, don't put your trust in your riches, but this is what he tells us to do. First Timothy 6, 18, he says, command those that are rich to do good, number one, to be rich in good deeds, number two, and to be generous, watch this, and willing to share what you have, number three. Notice that he never says to those of the rich to get rid of all your money and vow, vow poverty. The Bible does not support believers having to take a vow of poverty. Now, if you want to give all your money away, it's between you and Jesus. The Lord has never told me that, and I told you, I pray daily that he, that he will not say that to me. God doesn't need you to be broke. Can I just tell you, your, your heavenly father gets no honor and glory out of you being poor. He gets more honor and glory when he can look and see that his kids' needs are met. And you're in a posture where when he speaks to you to take some of what he's given you, you can be a blessing to somebody else. That brings more glory, come on, man, to your father than you being in a struggle. He never said to those that are rich to get rid of all your wealth. He said that to one man that we know of, the rich young ruler, because he was worshiping his wealth instead of worshiping God with his wealth. Come on, say amen, somebody. He said to tell them to be generous and to share Verse 19, he says, in this way, if they do this, they will lay up or deposit treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they can take hold of. Another way of saying that they can withdraw the life that is truly life. He says, for those of us that are are blessed, we're, we're, we're considered rich in this world. He says, number one, do good. Number two, be rich in good deeds. Number three, be generous and willing to share. He said, if you do that, you'll end up making a deposit into heaven. And when the time comes, you can withdraw some of the life that is really life. How many, how many know there's a life that goes beyond just money? Some people think, oh, if I, if, I, if I got some more money, everything will be fine. How many know you can get money but not have healing in your body? We've seen so many examples of people that had a lot of money, man, but just could not buy healing. Bought the best doctors, the best medicine, best procedures, couldn't buy healing. I mean, you can have money, but have no peace in your heart. I keep, every time I reread Deion Sanders' story, man, he tells a story about how he had money, he had women, he had drugs, he had all the stuff, but he had no peace until he found Jesus Christ. Well, I says, how I many know you can have a ton of money, but have no protection? You can buy an army and still not be safe. 
Can I, can I tell you that the angels that watch over you every day, that the ones that came in here with you when you walked in this building, come on, the ones that protect you with some of that crazy driving that you see around Jacksonville. There's a life that is truly life, and the Bible says we can access it or tap into it when we do these three things. Number one, he said we got to learn how to do good. Everybody shout, do good. Do good. Come on, say it again. Shout, do good. do good. Another way of saying do good, just say do right. That's it. How I many I mean, know sometimes it's not another counseling session we need, it's not another prayer meeting. Sometimes we need to just do right. There's some family members that when they call, just, you need to just answer, just do right. <laughs> Don't even say hello, because you, you know they're about to call and tell you something wrong. <laughs> the moment you see their name on the phone, when you answer, just go, hey, do right. He says, do good or do right. James 4, 17 says, for the person who knows to do good, but they don't do the good they know to do. The Bible says for them, it's a sin. See, to do good with our wealth means we do what we're supposed to do with it. We do what we know the Bible tells us to do with it. See, one reason why when we read the story of Cain and Abel, Cain's offering was rejected because he didn't do what he knew was right to do. So it's not like he was operating in ignorance. He knew what was right to do, but instead, remember I told you what Cain did. Cain, Cain, the Bible says, in the process of time, which means he didn't do it right away. It wasn't first. It wasn't his best. He went through the garden and says, oh, I don't really need this. I'll, I'll give this to God. I'll, I'll pick a little bit of that and give it to God. And then he still held on to it until he finally said, oh, yeah, I should, I should give God an offering. In the process of time, he gave God an offering that came from the ground. But the Bible says his brother Abel, he went out to his flock and he saw the animals he had out there. And he looked and found the, the very best animal he could find. He said, ooh, that would be a good one for God. And he took that animal and sacrificed it and presented it to God. And so when God showed up, he accepted Abel's offering. But he rejected Cain's offering. And you know what happened. They went out into the field and Cain got mad at Abel because God received his offering. That's what happens sometimes even in church. People get mad at somebody else that's blessed. Come on, they get jealous of somebody else because they're blessed and they're, they're, they're driving something nice in their life and there's some peace in their life. And instead of getting, come on, instead of getting mad and jealous of the person that's walking and blessing, why don't we ask him, what are you doing, sweetheart? Can you, t- can you give me the secret? Because what they're probably going to do is point you to this reality that everything I have, I honor God with it. This is what God said to Cain after Cain got upset. He says in, in, in Genesis 4, 17, he says, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, then sin is crouching at the door and it's desire for you. But you're going to have to learn how to rule over that thing, man. See, we learn here at Impact Church how to do what's right with what God has blessed us with. That's why I tell people all the time, we don't tithe around here because we're commanded to do so. We don't. You'll never hear hear us say across this stage right here, if you don't tithe, the curse is coming on you. No, it's not. Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse. You don't ever tithe. There's no curse coming on you because you don't tithe. That's not, that's not in the New Testament. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. That's what the New Testament says. Wait, I'm just trying to tell you, we don't tithe because we're commanded to do so. We don't tithe because we're afraid that if I don't tithe, I'm going to be cursed. See, and this is what people get mixed up. This is why you hear people that, that aren't learned well enough as Christians say things like this. Well, the Bible don't teach us to tithe. But they tithing was in the Old Testament. Number one, yes, tithing was in the Old Testament, but if you know your Bible, tithing is in the New Testament too. Because in the New Testament, it says this, here on earth, men that die receive tithes. 
which means every time you put your tithe into the offering bucket or the offering basket back there, you do it online. Human beings calculate that. An accounting team tabulates it. The bank makes a transition. Here on earth, men receive it. But the Bible says, but there in heaven, he receives it. And what it's saying is, when we give our tithe down here on earth, human beings walk away with the physical money or the promissory note. But in heaven, Jesus is right there as we worship him with our giving. And see, understand this. Tithing, yes, it was in the law. Moses, when God gave him the law, it was included in the law that the children of Israel were commanded to tithe. And if they did not tithe, just like any other law that they broke, a curse would come upon them. But we don't tithe because the law commands us to. Because if you go back and study the Bible, that's why it blows my mind when people say things like that. Because if you study your Bible, you'll know that 400 years before Moses ever showed up and gave the law, a man by the name of Abraham gave a tithe in Scripture. And why? I said, nobody commanded him to do that. If you read the story, Abraham tithed because he had a nephew by the name of Lot. He took his nephew Lot with him when he should have left his behind back in Ur of the Chaldees. And I mean, when you take folks with you that ought not be with you, they end up causing trouble. His nephew Lot got out here in the middle of the plain, and their, their, their herdsmen were, were, were bickering with each other. Abram said, there's no reason for us to be in strife. You take whatever land you want, I'll take the rest. He took the best land, the Bible says. And he pitched his tent toward Sodom and Gomorrah. And because he pitched his tent toward Sodom and Gomorrah, he eventually ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then a group of armies came and captured Sodom and Gomorrah, took the men and the women and the children hostage. Abraham gets word that your nephew Lot has been taken captive. And you know how it is when you get that phone call, June bug, they're in jail. We need everybody to put $50 together. <laughs> Come on, let's put, make the Bible real. That's the call to Abraham guy. Little lot in jail, Abraham. He's been captured. So now Abraham's got to go and rescue his nephew Lot. The problem is Abraham is not a warrior. He didn't have a whole army the Bible says he took his 300, watch this, he took his 318 trained servants. So that means that these are men that have probably been trained to farm. They've been trained to raise cattle. They might have been trained with a little self-defense, but they're not warriors. They're not an army. He took his 318 trained people in his house, and he went to rescue his nephew Lot. I want you to get this, because he went out, and they defeated four armies, trained armies, that had just defeated five armies. So these four armies had just beaten five armies. Abraham shows up with his cooks. <laughs> his farmhands. And they defeat four armies. That doesn't happen, watch this, unless the blessing of God is on your life. Now here's how it works in war. You show up and kill four armies. Well, all the gold and the silver and the jewels that belong to him, you won't be needing that because you're dead now. So now they gathered up all the stuff called the spoils of war. And Abraham and his 318 servants took all the spoils of war. And when they showed back up, Abraham, without any commandment, come on, help me out, somebody, without any law to make him do it, he showed back up. And this, this is what he said coming to town. Ain't no way in the world we would have did that if the Lord wasn't on our side. That's what he's saying to himself. And so when he shows up, the first thing he decides in his heart to do is find the priest for me. They find Melchizedek, and Melchizedek shows up. He takes 10%, a tithe, of everything he knows God just gave him. 
And he gives it to the priest and says to the priest, let this bless the house of God. So when we tithe, come on somebody, we're not tithing from the line of Moses, that is a commandment. We're tithing from the line of Abraham that recognizes, come on, God has been good to me. God has blessed me. God woke me up. God provided for me. God is healing me. And it's the right thing to do to take a tithe of what he's given me and bring it back to worship him with it. You ought to shout like you believe that, somebody. Woo! See, this is why we do it. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Verse 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first, come on, somebody, and the best part of all of your income. What happens if I do that, God? Because he didn't have to promise us anything. But he still made a promise. He says, if you do that, your barns are going to be full and your vats are going to overflow with fresh wine. He says, if you bring me the first and the best because of a heart of honor. He said, I'm going to turn around and do something for you too. I can't let you just give to me and I'm going to turn around and bless you. He says, your, your barns are going to be filled with plenty. For us, that means your bank account. I'm going to put you in a status of overflow. Give, it, give me some time. I'll work with you. Put you into overflow because you've been willing to honor me. Second thing he tells us to do is be rich in good deeds. Good deeds. This suggests that it's not enough. Watch this to just be generous with our treasure but end up being stingy with our time and our talents. See, sometimes the easy, the easy route is to write a check. Some people, that's the easiest thing. I can just write you a check. But no, God wants us to be generous with our treasure, but also our time and our talents. That's why when you look around this church, you, you probably never even know who they are. But we have doctors and attorneys. We have judges. <laughs> we have principals of schools. We have CEOs of corporations that serve right here. Some of them on, on doors as the usher when you come in. Some of them in the parking lot parking cars. You know why? Because even though they might be a really big shot on the outside, they realize when I show up in here, I'm just, I'm just grateful that God allows me to do anything for the kingdom of God. He, God doesn't want us to, to, to be generous with our treasure, but be stingy with our time and our talent. He wants us to be the kind of people who are rich in good deeds. We have contractors, we have engineers, we have graphic artists and video editors that sow their seed into their ministry, serving here in those areas. To help do all the stuff you see us do. There's no way we could pay for all of this. We have people who that's their gifting and they sow it into their ministry. Because they want to make sure that they're serving God in an amazing way. Can I get a good amen somebody? Can I get an amen somebody? That's why God wants to make sure, come on, that you are serving God with your talents. If you are, if you are an administrative type, we have what we call an, an A team. Our administrators that help us run things around here as their service in the ministry. And I want to say that there's some of you sitting out here right now who are supposed to be up on this stage, either singing with our worship team, playing in this band, and you're sitting on your gift. And sometimes you probably sit on your gift thinking, well, they probably don't need me, all the stuff they have around here. No, no, we need your gift too. So we have, we have other campuses we're going to be planting. We got a campus in the Orange Park area that we're working on right now. So all those folks that drive all the way from Mandarin and all the way from Orange Park and Fleming Island won't have to drive all the way over here. We're going to be playing. So everything we do here is going to be duplicated in four other campuses around the city. So to think that we don't need, yes, we need your gift. And can I just tell you this? We also need on this stage some, some more younger people. We need some more men on this stage. And can I just say this without offending you? We need some more people that are not black on this stage. I've never been accused of being shy and not being honest. 
Point is, I said in 1996 when we started this church, this is not a black church. Even though the largest percentage of our, our audience and, 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 and church is black, but we want a church that looks like heaven. One way you grow a church that looks like heaven is when people show up at the building, they, they ought to be able to look around and see people that look like them. And so they, it, there's never a need in a church that God has not already provided by the people that are sitting in the pews. So I know there's some folks sitting out there right now. I know it's, I know it's bearing witness with your heart. There's some of you sitting out there right now who have the gift to sing, have the gift to play instruments, and you're supposed to be on this stage and not just sit out there. God is saying to you to take those works and be rich in good deeds. I said this at the earlier service and in the back, Pastor Rodney said, I think I heard you say, Bishop, that you want me on stage singing because I'm white and I'm a man. I was like, we will shut the whole thing down before we let that happen. <laughs> Stay in your lane, bro. Stay in your lane. <laughs> Third thing that he tells us to do, if we're going to tap into the vault called heaven, is be generous and be willing to share. Be generous with what we have and be willing to share. Galatians 6.10 says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. So, yeah, the church is a place where we're supposed to bring our first and our best gift but our generosity, watch this, is not supposed to end at the church. See, God doesn't want us to just be, have, have, display generosity or do generous things. Listen to me. He wants us to be generous people. That's why one of the culture points of our church is we are a generous church, generous people. That means that God wants us to be a blessing, not just at Serve Day and I Hope and Legacy Offering and Dream Team here in the building. He wants us to be generous when we're out and about in the community. God wants you to find that one person on your job, that, that, that receptionist or that, that facilities worker that everybody else passes by, be a blessing and buy them lunch. God wants you to find that homeless person that he speaks to your heart. I don't mean just giving money out the window, but find the one he touches your heart and tells you to be a blessing. God wants you to find that neighbor who doesn't have a lawnmower. Be willing to share your lawnmower. Better yet, watch this. When you know they're going through surgery, be willing to just cut their grass generosity. God wants you to realize that if you are blessed to be healthy and strong and vibrant and don't have any disease that you're fighting off right now, that when the blood bank comes by, that pint of blood from your healthy body could be a lifeline for somebody else who may be in trouble at some point. So he wants us to live our lives in a way where we're generous with everything we do. I was taking my son before he just got his license. I was taking him to a basketball game at their school and, you know, I, I was going to get him there early, but apparently it's not cool to get there early. So he's, he's like, no, Dad, that's not, not yet, not yet. So I'm trying to find something to do. So I pull into Publix. I got a couple things I could get from Publix. Didn't really need them, but because I had like 45 minutes I needed to, to, to make up, I just stopped in Publix for a minute. So I go into the store, and as I walk in, there's this guy that's standing there, and I, I see he, he, he makes eye contact with me. And he walks over to me and says, sir, and I'm thinking he's trying to sell something, you know, some, some kind of school function or something. He said, sir, I, I don't know how to ask this, but would, would you be willing to buy me some food and, and just something to drink? I'm, I'm hungry. I haven't had anything to eat. And I'm not the type that just hands money out of the window. I just don't because there's too many scams and too many other things happening. But anytime somebody tells me I'm hungry, I'll take the last money in my pocket to give somebody that's hungry. I'll put some food in your stomach. And so I say to him, well, hang on a second. I'll, I'll be glad to help you. Because out of all the people in public, he'd make eye contact with me and ask me. He said he had asked several other people before. Every one of them said no. I said, hang on a second. Let me pick up these couple items. I'll meet you right back here. 
I said, well, what would you want? He said, just some chicken. And, and so I went and picked up some public chicken. I mean, public chicken is from Jesus. There's a lot of things I don't know, but when we get to heaven, there's going to be some public chicken. <laughs> I grabbed him some chicken. <laughs> grabbed him a thing of raspberry tea that he had asked for, paid for. When I got outside, I handed it to him. And, I, you know, I watched, and, you know, he didn't turn around to, to walk off to go hand it to somebody else or to exchange it for money. This man stood right there in front of, in front of the store, man. Open that bag and start eating the food right there. And in that moment, I stopped and I thanked God that you have blessed me enough that I didn't have to just pray for him. Yeah, I told him God loves him. I shared the love of Jesus with him. But I didn't, he didn't have to come to my church as a condition for me to be a blessing to him. I was grateful that God has put me in a position where when I see a need like that, I can be used by God to help put food in somebody else's stomach. There's a reason why, the whole reason why God sent me to Publix there was for him. The Bible says he cares about the sparrow. So you better believe he cared about that young man that was walking around hungry that day. See, generous people jump at every opportunity to use their treasure to honor God and bless other people. Then I want to leave you with this one. When we do good, when we're rich in good deeds, and when we're generous and willing to share, we end up having access to every promise that God has in his vault. That's good. Now, I saw this yesterday, and I want to act on what I saw yesterday. I saw us praying for some people today. People in here right now, if you have tumor in your body, some kind of a lump that shouldn't be there in your body, some kind of a cyst that's in your body, or you're dealing with some form of cancer, I want to pray for you. I read a, a, a prayer card yesterday from a family that said that they, their toddlers was just diagnosed with a tumor. And I, I, I spent my time interceding for that family, man. And I just believe the Lord prompted my heart to do the same thing for those that are in this room. Now, if you have other sicknesses and disease, we're going to pray for you as well. But I'm only calling up to the front those that are dealing with tumors, cysts, lumps, or some form of cancer. My wife has an anointing in this area. She does, always has. She's got a healing gift on her life. We've had marvelous testimonies over the years of people being miraculously healed. Not because there's something special about her, but God's fault flows through her in this one area right here, especially when it comes to tumors and things. So if you're one of those people that has lumps, tumors, cysts, or some form of cancer you're battling, would you stand up, make it to one of these two middle aisles right here, and follow the direction of our usher. They'll bring you here to the front. The rest of you, I want to ask you, just join us in worship. Let's just take a moment to worship God. Human beings are not the healer. Jesus is the healer. And we're going to watch Jesus provide miraculous healing in this place today.
creation cries, holy, you are lifted high, holy, holy forever, hear your people, hear your people sing, holy to the King of of healing is not how you feel. The evidence of healing is not even whether or not the lump or the tumor has disappeared. We're believing that they're going to disappear. We are. The evidence of healing is your faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:1, now faith is the substance of things that we hope for. Faith is the evidence of the things that we don't see just yet. Said by faith, when you believe something is done, you act like it. You, you, you praise God like it. So I want you all to help me praise God like we believe healing just happened. Come on, praise God. Come on, shout like you believe it. Come on, shout like a miracle just happened. Come on, shout like we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, we rejoice. We celebrate. Thank you, Lord. sickness or pain in your body that is not one of the things we call out. Just lift up your hand right there where you are. 
Come on, you got sickness in your body. I want, I want you to turn around and find somebody that's got their hand up and put your hand on them and just in some appropriate place on their arm, their shoulder, their back. The Bible doesn't say pastors will lay hands on the sick. It says believers, and they will recover. So I want you to pray for that person right there. Make sure we don't miss anybody. I want you to speak life over them right now. Come on, speak life. Come on, we declare from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. God's healing power is at work in your body right now, affecting a healing and a cure in you. We say that God's healing virtue is at work. The blood of Jesus Christ covers you from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet, driving out any sickness, disease, any malady, any abnormality. We say that your body is healed, your body is whole, your body is well. We say that every cell, every tissue, the blood in your body, the bones in your body, your your neurological function, it all functions perfectly in the name of Jesus because his name is above every other name and we declare it to be so. We thank you for it, Father, now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. there we are. If you're in this place and you don't know Jesus as your Lord, I want to ask you, ma'am or sir, will you let me pray for you today? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. Nobody's even going to lay hands on you. I just want to lead you in a really simple prayer of commitment to Christ because that's all he asks from you. Jesus has paid the price for your sin and mine. The Father has given us salvation as a free gift, but any gift that's offered has got to be received by the person on the other side. So if you're not saved today, if you're in the room or you're online, I want to ask you right now, would you let me lead you in a prayer? If you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to count to three in just a moment. And if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, when I get to three, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up as high as you can. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. But right there at your seat or right there online, when I get to three, raise your hand and say, yes, I want Jesus Christ if you're not saved already. Here we go. One, two, three. Lift up that hand. Thank you. Beautiful. Come on, all over the room. Hands are going up. I see that hand. Another hand there. Thank you, sir. Another hand there. Thank you. Another hand right behind you. Thank you. See that hand. Thank you, young lady. See that hand. Beautiful. Thank you. See that hand. Another hand there. Thank you. Another hand there. Come on. All over the room. Hands are going up. Anybody else want to get in this? Anybody online want to say yes to Jesus? Anybody else in the room or the overflow spaces outside in the lobby? Just raise your hand right wherever you are if you want to say yes to Jesus today. Every one of you that raised your hand, I want you to whisper this prayer right there at your seat. Say, dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price for my sin, but you raised him from the dead, and he's alive right now. Jesus, come into my heart now. Save me, forgive me, make me new. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days. And according to the Bible, I am born again. Amen. Come on, Impact Church. 